Hello there, and welcome to Desert Rain Community Radio. Uh, however you found us, came across our podcast, we're grateful for you. And today, David Morrison and I sit down and discuss the liturgical calendar, uh, how that's impacted some different denominations, as well as our own personal uh, spiritual journey. Uh As always, thank you to Diego at Recording Moving Studios. Uh, Shout out to Monk Drums, those drums you hear in the background. Uh, You can actually find them at monkdrums.com. Also check out Star City Studios Productions. And if you're interested in finding out more about Desert Rain Community, theruin.com, or you can find Desert Rain on Facebook. So, uh, once again, thank you for tuning in, and let's jump into it. Welcome to another rendition, another edition of Desert Rain Community Radio. I'm here with David Morrison. How are you doing today, man? (laughs) Not bad, not bad at all. Uh, yeah, so what I wanted to talk about tonight, what we wanted to talk about and have a, a little conversation around is um, sort of this idea of some churches, uh, I know the Orthodox Church does, I know the uh, the Catholic Church follows the church calendar, um, and a lot of Uh, churches don't follow a church calendar. And one of the things I wanted to sort of explore with you tonight, David, is um, what's important about the church calendar, what's not important about it, um, where did, you know, where did it come from? How did it uh, get embedded in certain churches and and not so much in others? And so I, I guess my first question would to you would just be like, what, what is your understanding of, of the church calendar the liturgical year that it's referred to often. Um, how did that that get started, and and what's the importance around that kind of stuff in in modern day Christianity? Yeah, well, uh, the early church began to develop this probably in the second century. Okay, um, of different themes in the life of Christ, the teaching of Christ, uh, different themes in in found in the New Testament. And began to de- develop it into a a rhythm, kind of a, a, a calendar, a spirituality calendar, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so you know, and it's gone through many changes throughout the centuries, and different groups, like you said, the Orthodox celebrate Easter on a different mm-hmm. day than the Roman Catholics. Uh, most of the the mainstream, large. Uh, liberal Protestant groups like the Presbyterians, the Episcopalians, they they follow a liturgical calendar, and then the uh, the the more evangelical and more modern churches uh, do not. But it's been gaining in popularity over the years. So is just I I mean I I do want to explore the the churches that do use it or the idea behind it. But just as a side note, why do some of those other uh, denominations not what's the thought process by not following it uh they don't want to be bound by what they call religion okay. they, they see it as empty religion all i need is the bible mm-hmm. um 
and and that that kind of a an idea. Um, even in my own circles, I've had people challenge me throughout the years, and they'll say, uh, "Well, every day is the Lord's day. This is the day the Lord has made." Uh, Which is there's some truth that's behind true. that. <laughs> yeah, and so I asked some of them, "Why do you celebrate Easter then?" Mm. Uh, and you know, and Christmas, right? But you don't, you know. So what's you know, what's your big problem with Advent? And they'll give me a blank stare because they've never heard of Advent, and and then it opens up a new discussion. Right, which I think is at least from my my perspective in learning about Christianity or, or becoming more familiar with it, for sure is is those different perspectives. Yeah, why exactly. people follow one thing a certain way, you know, and, and uh, we talk about in the recovery world, um, all you need to start a new meeting is a resentment in a coffee pot. <laughs> and there's so many denominations within Christianity. It seems like that's somewhat yeah. true in the in in the Christian world too. And yeah. certain things are adopted, certain things aren't. Um, certain things are rediscovered. And so, I guess um, to rewind it on your own personal story, have you always been uh, feel felt very connected to the liturgical calendar? Or is that what was sort of that evolution for you? Yeah, I, w- I would say for me, you know. I mean, in childhood, I didn't really think much of it. We just, you know, went to church, and you know, I knew I knew Christmas and Easter. That was very obvious. They would announce ordinary time or Advent yeah. or whatever, but it didn't really mean much to me. And then when I, in my teens, when I went to the charismatic evangelical church Vineyard, mm-hmm. it wasn't mentioned, and so it was. It just wasn't a thought. It wasn't on my radar until. Uh, uh, I planted a church, and then I was responsible to deliver a sermon every Sunday. And a couple of years into it, it just became frustrating personally because I'm having to, quote-unquote, come up with a message. And and at this point, you're not following the calendar oh, those no. first couple of years, the liturgical calendar, to be specific. No, no. In, in these free-form kinds of churches, usually— Pastor so and so is going to do a series right. on a topic, and yeah. it'll, you know, be a six. So I was doing that kind of thing, and and I would cover vineyard values, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, who is the you know who we were as a mm. church, our identity, and but yeah, it became frustrating to come up with a new series. And who am I to come up with? You know, why why is it on me to you know? I'm just so I found myself just coming to my favorite pet topics, which was over usually and prayer and, and spirituality. <laughs> Over and over and over yeah. again. I didn't want to teach on giving. I hated that topic, mm. so I had to get somebody else to do it. Right. Family values, I hated that. Uh, but I think Jesus hated that, too. He wasn't much of a family values guy, yeah, a being, single being, Jewish guy, not say. getting married. <laughs> What's wrong with him? <laughs> and Going so, against every tradition of yeah, that time of a Jewish man. Telling people to hate their mothers. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so I, I just... Wasn't, so so I began to, if I remember right, I think I stumbled onto my mother's old Catholic missal. It somehow was in my uh, library. Okay. And it took me about a year to figure out the calendar. This is pre, kind of pre-internet, you right. know, this, this stuff wasn't readily available. Uh, and then by probably 1998, I began to follow that calendar and craft those sermons out of the four readings. So so in an average mass or, or any Sunday mass, mm-hmm. uh, there's a an Old Testament reading, what they call the Old Testament, 
uh, the Jewish scriptures, scriptures. Yeah. Uh, a psalm, a responsorial psalm, a uh, a reading from usually the epistles, and then a gospel reading. Mm-hmm. And I would and I would use the gospel reading as my main sermon. And and as an evangelical charismatic pastor, we didn't we 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 teach everything except Jesus's teaching. Uh, you never hear us from uh, the you key, lean on Paul real heavily. Yeah, yeah, it's all about Paul, you know, and uh, Romans, and uh, like I was telling you earlier, Romans is like it's like golf. Everybody pretends they understand it and, like and they it. pretend that they enjoy it, and nobody. I don't think Paul even knew what he was talking about in that book. If we're really honest about it, and uh, and so so I began to seriously study the four Gospels particularly the first three, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And it revolutionized my thinking about everything. Uh, And in what way? uh, I guess what my old Catholic priest would warn me against, uh, liberation theology, (laughs) that God has a preferential option for the poor, uh, that it's out of our weakness that God moves. Mm. uh, The church is to never be an instrument of political power, but a prophet speaking on the fringes, from the bottom, from weakness, from powerlessness, speaking prophetically to power. Uh, it's radical. Mm-hmm. And so, so. Well, it's, it was radical then when yeah. Jesus was alive, and it's still radical. Yeah, it got him crucified. Right. He got him killed. And, <laughs> yeah. and if he would have just followed, if he would have just done law and order, if, they would have If never Jesus would have been a law and order him. follower, he wouldn't have, you know, ended up that way, right? Um, and so, yeah, so it, it really, and it was ironic because, you know, in the, in the vineyard movement, there's a huge emphasis on this doctrine of the kingdom of God. Okay. Which is uh, God's presence is is uh, manifest here and then and now. And God is always doing something. Um, but very seldom was, was uh, Jesus' teaching of the kingdom of God ever mentioned, mm. uh, if, to my knowledge. So the Sermon on the Mount days. was... I never heard neatly avoided, right? <laughs> yeah, very, very seldom. So, or, or the parables of of the kingdom. Yeah, just to back up, just half a step. So, when you started uh, following the liturgical calendar as uh, sort of a jumping off point for your weekly sermons, did you announce that, or did you just start doing it? Right, I just you know, started doing it. Right. Yeah, I didn't make a deal of it or anything like that. Because it seems like it, there might be some pushback. Uh, later, a couple of years into it, I had a personal, if you will, revelation of the value of the sacrament of communion, mm. and and I began to make a big deal out of that. And we what, began. What do you to, mean by big deal? Well, because in the in the free form churches, generally, at least in those days, uh, churches like ours that wanted to were on our way to become a mega church. Uh, you, you don't really practice communion. Maybe once a month, and mm-hmm. it's done as kind of an afterthought after the if announcements. It's, if it's convenient. When it's convenient, yeah. uh, it's not. Yeah, it's just not really. It's very individualized. You, know, you have a tiny. Usually, it's a tiny little cracker. Oh, I've and seen a, it. Yeah, yeah. the pop top Jesus. Yeah, to go, and it's it's plasticized. It's kind of a little bit uh, commercialized, and it's mm-hmm. just you know. And so it wasn't even on, again, another thing that wasn't on my radar at the time. and and Because you probably hadn't really done, been engaged with communion on a weekly basis since you walked out of the Catholic Church. Right. Right. It just wasn't a, 
just wasn't on my radar. I wasn't mm-hmm. anti-communion. Yeah. I, you know, I wasn't Romophobic either. Uh, but it's just, it just, you know, wasn't on the menu mm-hmm. at all. And, and so, yeah, so in a deep searching prayer time, I had a memory, uh, a flashback memory. Uh, I had a mentor at Cathedral High School, uh, a member of the Christian Brothers, uh, a monk, uh, teaching order. And, um, and I went to see him when I left the Catholic Church for Vineyard. And one of the, he said the strangest thing to me. I was 17 at the time, maybe 16. And he said, will you, he said, will you do me one favor though? You promised me one thing. And I was, and I was all, yeah, what's that? And he said, will you, will you promise me you'll never neglect the Eucharist? Oh, wow. And as a 16 year old, I thought, no, crazy old man. I don't know what he's talking about. I was going to say, you probably, then, you probably yeah. just soared over your head. Yeah, it just went through one ear out the other. Right. <clears throat> Never gave it another thought until here I am at early my early 30s at this point, and this memory flashes back. And then and then a coinciding uh, memory of that original vision that I had when I was 12 at mm-hmm. communion. The burning heart. Of the sacred burning heart of Jesus. And... And so it was a it was a revisiting, if you will, of of the the sacrament of communion, and and it was a it was a major awakening personally for me, um, because I realized you know even if Protestant you know most Protestants believe the 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 bread and the wine are just symbols right. of Jesus, whereas uh, the, you know the Latin Church and the the Eastern Church believe that it's the real presence. Mm-hmm. Um, but even if you believe it's just a symbol, what have we done with the symbol? He's an afterthought. Yeah, it's, He's, it's when really it's convenient. about yeah. When it, when yeah. Th- this meeting is really about my sermon mm. and the snappy music that we can produce and entertain people with, and so that was a just a, a life changing uh, thing for me. And how many years into having your your quote unquote own church? This was probably four years okay. or so into. So you'd it. already been doing the, the calendar for about two years. Yeah, at that point. probably a year and a half. Maybe okay. you know who knows. Right. Uh, I'm just interested in the yeah. evolution of like how how you got got back to that place of sacraments and. Yeah, and I, and I was personally, personally following the the the, the Christian calendar. But I wasn't. We weren't announcing it at, at church right. at this point. You weren't until you, later. It's not like you put in the the Catholic. Yeah, we're missiles. we're in Advent. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, but I, but I was using images. PowerPoint was uh, was emerging Ooh, as a new thing and fancy. Yeah, we churches that use PowerPoint. We were on the cutting edge, and so. Uh, if, so I I to walk, if I were to walk into a church today and they put on a PowerPoint, I would get up and immediately leave. <laughs> I don't know if they still do. I don't know what I don't they know, do anymore. Yeah, I don't know if they do or not. Uh, but we did. Yeah, I was very image-driven. Grew up with MTV, so we needed yeah. some images, you know. And and so the so that began to to drive that. You know, and it's interesting, the word uh, religion. It's a controversial mm-hmm. word. and And in those days... Uh, and, and in charismatic evangelical circles, religion is a bad word. Even though it's mentioned in the book of James, pure and undefiled religion is caring for the orphan and the widows. Right. Um, it's used in a positive term there. But generally, 
the phrase, at least in the 90s and 80s, was, uh, you know, it's about, it's about a relationship with Jesus, not a religion that, that's kind of there. And then they act like they're in a more of a fundamentalist religion than anybody else. But Well, and, and now it's evolved to, um, and maybe not necessarily within Christian circles, but uh, I'm spiritual, I'm not religious. Yeah, yeah, that, is, yeah, that is, too. Yeah, which is secular, total nonsense. More secular culture, yeah. They'll, they'll, uh, but, but it's interesting, the, the, the Latin word for religion is uh, to, to, uh, to rebind. Oh, wow. And so it's interesting. It's, it's paradoxical because you can look at that as it's rebinding you to law and order and, and into the bondage of religion in a negative way. But it could also mean it's rebonding you to uh, your spirituality, rebonding you mm-hmm. to the heart of God in the world, um, putting ligament to uh, and reminding you of, of your connection to Christ, which connects you to everything. Everyone. Well, well, there's also something to be said that through discipline, you know, especially in this context of maybe practice um, spiritual practices, through discipline with those practices, you get the freedom. Right. right. Yeah. It's it's like a... through meditation, through prayer, right. through fasting, you're cultivating the ground for this. Um, uh, what connection with Christ, right. like you were just saying, which is a connection to everything. So there, it, it's interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting yeah. paradox. Yeah, because there is a forest of opposition internally that you have to go through when you oh, yeah. engage in spiritual disciplines. Because you think, which was my crisis at that time. I was really into fasting, and I was believing that the fasting itself was my devotion was. Uh, buying me some sort of access to the presence of God. Mm. Even though I knew theologically that wasn't true, mm-hmm. but internally I secretly believed it yeah, was true. Yeah, you were hoping and so, hoping that that was the yeah, the real answer. And so that that was the dilemma of the deep searching that I was doing. I was really struggling with that that force and and you you have to push through until you get to that freedom. And it's, it's it can be a difficult process. And even sometimes when you experience that freedom, you can slip back into the forest. Right. Yeah. Anytime. Yeah. So, so through, uh, you didn't, uh, we kind of got off topic, but you were talking, you were about to talk about how there was some pushback with bringing the Eucharist into the church. Yeah. And that became a regular basis. Right. So, so let's explore that a little bit. It's probably more probably has more to do with this region. Uh, the, the Protestants in, in the, this is a very heavily Catholic region. And so the Protestants are very much on defense. Mm. And, um, and so anything that looks remotely Catholic is suspect. And so what I thought would unify us as a church, because what could be more unifying than the Eucharist and communion, uh, ended up becoming a divisive thing to many people. And, and so it, it it caused some controversy. And so, what was some of the the specific um, negative feedback that that people, you know, came up and said to you? It's religion. It's Catholic. It's you know. It's, okay. It's that kind of thing. It's not, you know, it's it's not uh, spiritual. It's religious kind of thing. And so, for the people that actually enjoyed it, what was some of their their feedback? 
Uh, some people were very excited about it. That's because, what I mean. I'm, yeah. yeah, I assume that was the case. Well, yeah, because they, you know, for people who had a Catholic background, they, it was a, an opportunity to rediscover a hidden gem mm-hmm. of of uh, what they were given uh, at their at their church of origin. This gift of the of the of the body and blood of Christ, the bread and the wine. Uh, and others, it was just a new thing because they'd never, you know, they were like me in the last, the previous 10 years, just mm-hmm. it wasn't on their radar. And then all of a sudden, you know, it began to to really open up to them. And so did it, did you continue on with the Eucharist? Did you scale back on it? Yeah, what, what no, we doubled position? down. Okay. Yeah, because I felt like if Christ is to be the center of our church, if Christ is to be the... If we're going to claim that, mm-hmm. then then at least the very symbols of Christ need to be presented as central, and not so much the sermon or the music or anything else, the the building fund or whatever else you're doing. Um, that really does need to be central. And then and then it was kind of cool because at the time in the late '90s, early 2000s, there was a there was a I'm, I'm assuming he was an influential. Uh, evangelical leader named Robert Weber, who put his whole life's work academically into getting evangelicals to adopt the ancient future faith. And that was the, a phrase that he coined, ancient future faith, one of his books. Um, and what does that look, what, what is that phrase, what does that look like? So, Explain so, that a little bit. So adopting, uh, having a connection to the ancient church, uh, in a modern context, is is what his argument was. Uh-huh. Um, unfortunately, at that time, and maybe now, uh, the traditionalists end up hating you, and then the 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 mm-hmm. anti traditional people also throw rocks at you. So you you kind of get hit from both sides because uh, you're not being strict enough in accordance with the ancient church for right. the traditionalists. You're kind of being loosey goosey with it, right? Exactly. And and the other end is saying you're being too traditional. Exactly. Mm. And the irony, uh, like for example, the Roman Catholic traditionalists are not really traditionalists. They're uh, they're traditionalists in the modern period, but not past that. And so that's kind of funny. But that's well, a topic for another day. And they're traditionalists in their their one uh, outlook, right? You know, like what you're saying is. The modern period being some of that, the context of the Roman Church being part of that. Yeah, and, the uh, Orthodox. Uh, uh, Brian McLaren wrote a book around that same time that found its way to me called A Generous Orthodoxy. And that that opened up quite a bit for me as well. And just the appreciation of this huge 2,000-year uh, spiritual tradition that you've inherited. Um, and so... It just gave me a, a sense of connection, a sense of lineage, a sense of uh, smallness of myself, mm. um, but greatness in the sense that I'm a part of this amazing voice of many waters uh, that that has transcended uh, time, and it's an eternal thing, and it's a, it's a great feeling. It's a great way to live your life. Well, I think the beautiful thing with that idea, too, is that you and I, being Christians, we get to sit on the shoulders of all those saints exactly. that came before us. You know, from from Paul to Mother Teresa, 
Francis, you know, and everyone in between, yeah. uh, we we get to continue building on top of of those traditions, um, and those examples that they lived. Exactly, and so it's a it's a powerful feeling, and and so that's kind of where we went with the late '90s, early 2000s, and then it it kind of birthed you know the monastic desire for a community, and that's mm. kind of in the previous podcast that we we've discussed so yeah and it, it really gives you a sense of where you are at, where you're at in the year in your life in the cycles um i think in modern american north american life i think the only cycles that we live in to identify any kind of identity is maybe the start and end of the school year maybe yeah um, that's a pretty common one but even then if you don't have kids Right, maybe you know, like the football myself. season, uh, right. <laughs> you know, uh, basketball. The ending of football season, <laughs> the starting of baseball season, the ending, you know, the ending of the NBA. Or the NBA from January to January, it seems. So. <laughs> this Hockey year. as well. This year. <laughs> so, yeah, so so this gives you a, a sense of where am I in time. And it and it's it could be a very powerful thing, a powerful tool spiritually speaking. Well, and I heard it explained one time uh, that it's um, if you just take Christmas, the birth of Christ, you know, it's it's not it's not the fact that um, not only do we need to recognize that beginning in a sense, but each year that you recognize and um, focus on that that beginning or that change or whatever it might be, you're going to learn something new about yourself. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so it's more of, or not more of, but part of that inward uh, spiritual path is going to become is going to come through by recognizing these different things throughout the the calendar year connected to your faith. Right, exactly. using the liturgical calendar. Um, so that's probably a good a good point to sort of jump off. And there's different different aspects of the calendar, right? We talked about Easter and Christmas. You mentioned Advent earlier, um, Lent. All these all these different um, aspects that we step into year after year after year, right? Part of the cyclical nature of, of following a, a calendar. Um, so maybe uh, we're, since it's cyclical, yeah. where should we jump in and we'll, we'll go from there? Yeah. So the, the point of the, the, the Christian year is to connect you to the story and the teaching of Jesus. And so in doing that, it makes your life all about that. So your life becomes uh, integrated into the life of Christ, or as Paul the Apostle said, hidden in Christ. Mm. And, and so this is a way, this is a spiritual discipline and a way of seeing, a way of living your life uh, to experience that hiddenness or that connectedness in Christ. And so, so the church year starts with Advent, which is which means uh, the arrival, mm-hmm. and so it's the arrival of, of the year, and it, and it's and paradoxically it begins at the end of the chronological year, right? Which I I like that because it makes it counterintuitive uh, to how we see time. And for those that don't know, Advent is the I believe it's the four weeks leading up to Christmas. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. it starts in November. So that's the beginning of the of the 
church year and and the end of the calendar year like you just said right and it celebrates the themes of darkness hope in darkness uh sitting with your own darkness and uh integrating that into your life rather than trying to expel it uh hope in darkness hoping and so you align yourself with the uh the jewish prophets who long to see the son of man the son of god mm. emerge who we Christians claim it is Jesus right. of Nazareth. And um, and so it's the announcement of John the Baptist mm-hmm. uh, and the and the, the the shaking or the rumbling of all creation, hoping for the revelation of these things. And so so that's those are kind of the themes of Advent. And the and the nights get darker during that time. And in fact, the longest night of the year happens during that time. Right, exactly. December 21st. I believe so, yeah. 20th, 21st, something like that. Yeah, and the, the beginning of winter and that kind of thing. And and so you light the Advent candles, which get brighter and brighter as, as the celebration of light, luminosity comes with oh, Christmas and Epiphany. I never realized yeah. the brighter and brighter aspect of the Advent wreath. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. and And it's easy to miss Advent because... Uh, commercially, you're just—I uh, mean, uh, the stores have Christmas stuff up now, right yeah. now, here in September, and I think I saw it in August. Um, I've seen it as early as August or July, uh, in some yeah, stores. Especially like what Home Depot or Lowe's with their yeah. big inflatable and lawn they, ornaments. Yeah, and then every commercial, every ad that you see, it's just—and so, so it kind of drowns out the Advent, Advent spirituality, if you will. Well, because Advent's focus on, like you were saying, the darkness. Right, and waiting. And when you're trying to sell something. There's you, no waiting. You definitely don't want people <laughs> to wait, and you're not going to make it dark. You're going to make it as bright and exactly. shiny and attractive as possible. Get that tinsel out in the window, right? Yeah. And unfortunately, people fall right into it. And, and you know, an anti-liturgical uh, people will, 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 you know, will say, well, why Advent? And then... Um, and then I asked them, well, why Christmas? Why do you set up your Christmas tree right out, you know, before Thanksgiving? And right. Because, some, you know, uh, who's controlling you? Who's influencing you, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's advertisers. It's the consumer, the consumer world. Mm-hmm. Which is easy to get um, seduced by. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're, they're spending way more money than, than Jesus is spending on Advent. Yeah, no, they're figuring this <laughs> all out on online. Yeah, and why, even before that, yeah. you know, they were spending money to the marketing companies to study us and, and uh, hack our brain, I yeah. think is the, is the they do it well. popular term. So, so, so then rolling, rolling off of Advent into Christmas and uh and Christmas is a celebration, right? Yeah. Within the liturgical, um, not the not the marketing Christmas we were just talking about, but the actual this yeah. idea of the birth of Christ coming. It's a very brief season, so it's a, it's almost uh, like two weeks chronologically, because um, it goes to All Kings Day, right? Is that the right name of it? Uh, no, it would go into yeah, yeah. You're right into Epiphany and uh, yeah. The Three Kings Day and uh, the coming of the Magi, which which is a, a an epiphany mm-hmm. kind of thing, and so uh, yeah, Christmas is very brief, and you'll miss it liturgically if you're 
if you, if you don't really set yourself to uh, gaze upon it, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really not always, it. it's not totally joyful. It, the church intentionally put in the story of the flight into Egypt mm -hmm. to remind you of refugees and that Christ was a refugee at his birth, a foreigner in, in Egypt. Um, and that uh, the, the children were massacred, you know, by Herod, right. that story. So that's not the story you, you read to your kids, uh, you know, at uh, night before Christmas kind of stuff. <laughs> and so it's a severe joy, you know. Uh, well, it's a very realistic joy. I, I, you know, one of the things that people like to talk about are the three gifts that the, the wise men brought. And I've heard it explained that they were practical gifts to, so that oh, they yeah, were right. able to get to Egypt safely. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like they were like, oh, we won the lottery. It's like, here, take this and get, save, get out of here. save yeah. your son's life and your life. Exactly. And so, so, yeah, so it's a very brief season. And then it goes into the next season of light, which is also fairly brief, uh, epiphany, which, which uh, is a Greek word for the revelation, mm. for the revealing, for the unveiling of Jesus as Messiah. And so the themes in that season are generally, uh, starts with his baptism. Okay. Uh, or or right. the three king, the, the revelation of, of the kings, uh, the Gentiles, the outsiders, uh, that the, this is a, a savior for the, the entire world, not just for the Jewish people, but from the Jewish people to the entire world. Uh, and then, yeah, his baptism in the Jordan, uh, usually the, the wedding feast at Cana, his first miracle. Okay. And then his early miracles and early revelations, uh, so that, such as Peter, that they had of him as this is not just an ordinary fisherman guy, right. yet he is so ordinary. And so it's focused on those kinds of themes. And then... Uh, and and how it, long does Epiphany uh, run? It depends on how you calculate it, you know, okay. so... I think the Roman church calls it just one feast day. Mm. So not really a season. Right. And then it goes into ordinary time and then it jumps into Lent. And so I, I kind of just call the whole thing epiphany and leading up, leading up to Lent. Yeah. So that's just my own little tweak on tweak that. On uh, uh, yeah. And then, and then you head into Lent, which is the, uh, um, it, it's a 50 day period or 40 day period. And it signifies Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness, and you go with him in the wilderness, mm -hmm. being tempted and dealing with your stuff, so to speak. So it's a time of repentance. It's a time of self-reflection um, and that, that sort of thing. And the, well, the, the funny thing about Lent, from my perspective growing up in the Catholic Church, is uh, I, I have a new, different understanding and appreciation um, since I've had conversations with you, but prior to that, it, it almost seemed like a, a surface level interaction with Lent. Mm. Like you talked about it, you were encouraged to give something up, right? You know, and and um, you know, you, and you know what? You go two weeks, and then you're like, oh well, I'm done. Cheat, yeah, I'll, <laughs> cheat, I'll have a cheat day or whatever. There's got to be a better way to get to heaven than this. <laughs> <laughs> and so. You know, uh, your understanding, or maybe more more so, your practice of really stepping into Lent, in a like you're talking about following Jesus into the wilderness. Uh, 
How would someone, you know, step into that that time in sort of a, a meaningful or deep way? I realize it would look different for everybody, but yeah. your advice to to a newbie of, you know, what, what might that look like? Yeah, I would think, you know, Lent is it's becoming popular and accepted amongst evangelicals, if you will. I know in Vineyard, they, they've adopted Advent and Lent. Okay. And uh, so I think many churches acknowledge it and encourage people. And, and, I, and I would say probably the modern Protestant, if you will, uh, and probably a lot of Catholic priests these days, probably say rather, probably encourages our people, instead of giving up something like candy, take something up. Mm. Like uh, visiting someone in jail. Uh, standing up for refugees, uh, visiting detainees at the ICE centers, um, you know, doing something that you've never, stepping out in some way to serve uh, people uh, is is probably, the I would think, is the emphasis. And, that, and that's what I would uh, encourage people. So do something uh, for those 40 days that challenges you. Mm. Uh, that kind of scares you a little bit. Right. Maybe go with a group into the prison. Um, go with a group to, uh, you know, to the, uh, the the food bank, and uh, and and interact with people on the street level in that sense. Um, and so, so that would be that would be my recommendation. Right, sort of how to engage that in a in a deep way. And then with the end of Lent, that rolls us into Easter. Yeah, well, the Holy Week, which is the right, highest. Right, okay, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, yeah. So, so uh, Christianity stealing from from the Jews once again. Uh, <laughs> I think they call that sampling. I mean, it the, came out of the... In the hip-hop world. <laughs> I mean, obviously Christianity came out of Judaism. Right. Uh, and is indebted eternally to Judaism. Uh, but it also stole things from Judaism, mm-hmm. but I'm not here to argue any of that. Uh, well, it's just like when you tell someone that Jesus wasn't a Christian. Right, yeah. Head, if they don't really think about it, their head can explode. Yeah, or if you tell them that Jesus didn't have a an American flag <laughs> pinned it on his lapel, uh, no, people no, get shocked did, at that. So. He, he did the Pledge of Allegiance every morning. <laughs> yeah. Come on, David. And his favorite saying was, don't mess with Texas. Um <laughs> So, so if the Jews have high holy days in Christianity, an equivalent would be the tritium or the uh, the Holy Week, mm-hmm. if you will. And and you know, even 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 uh, non liturgical groups adopt these things. Uh, and, and explain the Holy Week a little bit for those that that right. might not be real familiar. So it would start on uh, the last Sunday of of Lent, if you will, which is Palm Sunday. It used to be Passion Sunday. Or a combination of those two, mm-hmm. which again connects uh, the believer into uh, uh, the event of, of of Jesus's triumphal entry to into Jerusalem, Jerusalem right? which which uh, started the chain reaction of his his trial and his arrest and crucifixion, um, and so so it celebrates that day, and and then it goes into to Monday, which is a, a minor. Thing, but it's the anointing at Bethany, when mm. when uh, either Mary Magdalene or Mary of Bethany, depending on the story that's read, um, anoint Jesus's feet for burial, and um, and then it really kicks into high gear on Thursday night, which is 
the institution of the Eucharist, uh, the high Protestants, not the high pot-smoking Protestants, but the, the liturgical Protestants, uh, which who may be high. Yeah, they might be smoking. Yeah, those Colorado guys, you know. Doing some uh, edibles. You never know. Um, they call it Monday Thursday, and I forget what, what that's. Uh, Catholics call it Holy Thursday. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's the upper room where Jesus gives the gift of his presence in the body, in, in is the gift of his body and his blood in the bread and in the wine. Um, and so that's the Thursday. And then Friday is the uh, crucifixion mm-hmm. and usually celebrated at noon or commemorated is a better word, uh, at noon in a solemn kind of way. Uh, and then uh, Holy Saturday, my personal favorite liturgical day of the entire year, which is that mysterious place between life and death, um, the underworld and this world where Mm. Jesus's body rested in the womb of the earth. And, uh, there's no reading in the, in the Roman and Orthodox churches. The church is silent on that day. The earth is silent. And then, uh, Easter vigil that Saturday night, which is an amazing, amazing liturgy in the Orthodox church, especially I uh, I can't remember what, five or six years ago, I celebrated Easter at an Orthodox church. Yeah, where they have the midnight. They basically do midnight mass. Which right. I I connect with with Christmas growing up Catholic, and the celebration, the party, basically they have. Yeah. It's, at you know whatever it is, twelve fifteen or twelve thirty, Easter Sunday. So yeah, is amazing. So amazing. They've done that for. 15, 1700 years. And so, yeah, and then it, and then it bursts into Easter Sunday on, on that Sunday. And so that's, that's the Holy week, uh, for you. So, and so uh, uh, you might know this, you might not. Why is, why does it seem like so much more of a celebration in the Orthodox church versus, uh, the Roman church? Uh, I would guess that the Roman, the Latin church took more of the emphasis of the incarnation, uh, whereas the Greek or the Eastern Orthodox uh, took the emphasis of the transcendence and the myster- mm. mystery of God. Okay. And so, so if you're more incarnational, more earth, earth-centered, you're going to celebrate Christmas right. because it's, it's the incarnation. It's, it's God taking human form and uh and if you're more emphasis if your emphasis is more on the 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 transcendence and the the mystery of god then the resurrection is your is going to be your your, your celebration and and so so the yeah so the latin church kind of it just kind of ended up that way and um they kind of want to get you out of mass within an hour and, you know, and, and, and the Orthodox are not worried no, about that. No, no, they're going to be there. They're going to keep burning that incense. And, and, and I, you know, and and I think uh, what the Latin is, the Latin rite is saying is, hey, this this one hour mass is a reminder that the entire life, mm. your entire week is the mass. This is just a reminder to to religament you, to uh, to re uh, reconnect you. To what's real. What's going on. Which is your whole your life. life right? Yeah. Whereas 
the the, the three hour matins, <laughs> you know, the Orthodox Church is going to be a celebration of mystery and uh, plumes of incense and and chanting. And so, how can you say who's who's more beautiful? I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't. How can yeah, you? Yeah, I wouldn't. Wouldn't yeah. venture to take a guess or pick sides on that one. Exactly, they're both beautiful. They're both amazing, and uh, I'll take both, please. Mm-hmm. However, I can. Yeah, if you can explore both of those things, um, you know, obviously, if you're if you're bound to one in a in a very religious sense, but uh, yeah, they're both yeah. they both are so beautiful in their own own ways and their own um, outlooks. Yeah, it's, right. a, it's an amazing. And then I could even be comfortable going, uh, minimalizing all the way down to a Quaker meeting, mm-hmm. which is just as beautiful, where they mm-hmm. just literally just simply sit in silence for an hour and then maybe share what uh, they believe they heard from the divine and uh, the inner light, what the inner light revealed mm-hmm. to them. A very simple, minimal meeting. And that is just as beautiful to me and, and amazing as well. So. What can yeah, I say? And the other beautiful part about the the Quaker, at least I, I attended a Quaker meeting uh, for several months when I lived in Philadelphia and, and there was no leader. No. You know, every month there was a different person up front that started it. They would have some announcements and yeah, get it. maybe give a reading or something and, and enter into silence as a group, you know, and there'd be, I don't know, anywhere from 20 to 50 people. I can't remember in complete silence. And then every, sometimes a lot of people would stand up and speak, you know, they would feel moved. Right. Um, they would say what they need to say and they would sit back down in silence. And, you know, sometimes you'd have two or three people and sometimes you may have 10 or more, you know, and yeah, and it's, it was just whatever the, the spirit was, was flowing through the room that day. Have a profound respect for that. Yeah. And, and likewise, you know, a wild Pentecostal meeting, where they're uh, purging their emotions through the week and singing with tears, with laughter, with dancing. Uh, it's just as beautiful to me. Mm-hmm. And so I just wouldn't want to do it every single week. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't, who knows what the right answer is. Right, exactly. I, I, I don't know what it is. That's that's the number one thing I do know. So rolling, rolling off of Easter, um, is, I believe is Pentecost. And then within ordinary time, is that the right time? Right. So you so so Easter is a fifty day uh, season, and so it's you know your meditations are on the the post resurrection appearances of Jesus, the themes of the Good Shepherd, doubting Thomas, uh, the doubting that awesome story of where he sticks his fingers, or Jesus makes him stick his fingers in his side. Doesn't give it an option. Such a great yeah. For contemplatives, those are just a great text to give yourself to and, and, and that keep giving to you. Um, and so, yeah, so then it, it culminates on the, on the day of Pentecost, which is the birth of the church traditionally, um, which is where, you know, the, the scene of Acts chapter 2, where the church is gathered. Jesus has already ascended, uh, and they're gathered, a uh, little over 100 of them, and they're just praying, waiting for something to happen. And then uh, what's what's described as tongues of fire appear over their heads and they begin to speak in, in strange languages and familiar languages as well, but languages they didn't know beforehand. Mm-hmm. And then they go out on the street and proclaim 
uh, the wonders of God and creates a, a, quite an event. And it's, so it's the giving of the Holy Spirit to the believers. And, and I like to, that's usually commemorated as one feast day, but I like to think of it as one season of Pentecost, and it's, it's the age of the church. So it's, it'd be the longest season. Um, and, and, I, and I personally like to, uh, to split that season after uh, around September to another season called Kingdom Tide. Yeah, if you could talk about that, because I think that's a, a far less known... Right, it's a modern right. edition. The liberal Protestants, I believe, came up with it in, the, I think, the World Council of Churches or some who are very uh, suspicious amongst evangelicals. <laughs> so, um, and I think the only ones who really practice it now are maybe the African Episcopalian churches, uh, those more traditional churches. And I... And I I love that season because juxtaposed with Pentecost, your, your, your spiritual reflections are on the inner empowerment of the Spirit in your life mm. to serve others and, and, uh, and your integrity, the development of your integrity by the gift of the Spirit, not by the effort of your own actions. And so that's a powerful thing, that inner transformation uh, that comes through prayer and waiting on the, on the Holy Spirit, so to speak. But then Kingdom Tide invites the, the, the believer to take that inner fire and let it go outward to work for justice mm. in our world. And, and so you can't have a Martin Luther King Jr. without a Howard Thurman, in my opinion. Um, and and uh, I'm guessing most people know the Martin Luther King reference. Could you speak right. a little bit on Howard Thurman? Yeah. So, how so he shaped... So in the, okay. in the American uh, civil rights movement, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. is seen as the Moses of the right. movement. His last sermon, you know, was, uh, was, was spoken as Moses. I may not get to, to see the promised land, but uh, I may not get to go to the promised land with you. This is the night before he was murdered. Mm -hmm. uh, he says, but I can see it. I've been on the mountaintop and I can see it. A uh, powerful, powerful sermon. Uh, but allegedly, uh, on the morning that he was murdered, in his briefcase was uh, the book uh, called Jesus and the Disinherited by Howard Thurman, who was the, uh, I guess you could call, the, the contemplative voice behind or underneath the civil rights movement. And, and he had a contemplative vision, so he was much more comfortable uh, in prayer, in churches, in uh, developing your heart for justice uh, than he was out on the streets making, uh, making a loud voice known kind of thing. And, and so my, my opinion is that you need both. Mm -hmm. the not, to hear the knock at midnight as Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, eloquently spoke about. Well, and I think the important part of, of pointing that out, the, the juxtaposition, juxtaposition between the two men is that um, some people would, uh, the contemplative aspect of it is, I think we, you and I have talked about it for a tiny bit on, on here, but uh, sort of the quote unquote navel gazing right. of, of a contemplative life. And it's like, well, no, it's, it's actually, there's actually more to it than, than that. Yeah. Much more. 
Right. Because because you get accused the Quakers of navel gazing. Right. The, these strange people that bought Pennsylvania, uh, and they and they sit in silence. And it took them, I believe, it was something like ten years to discern as a church, as a movement, uh, whether slavery was wrong. And they finally, uh, through contemplation, through this this slow, painful process of discernment. Uh, came to condemn it as a movement, as a group. And they were still something like 20 years earlier than the United States. Yeah, they were decades ahead of of most other people at the time. Exactly. And so I could be wrong about some of my numbers on that. But but yeah, it's such a profound thing. So you can never underestimate the power of contemplative prayer and going into the tent, so to speak. Well, you can underestimate it. Oh, right, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. What you I mean. can estimate, underestimate. It's too easy it. to underestimate. Right. Yeah, that's what I mean. But it's so, so important and profound. Yeah. It, it, does, it does the the doubter a disservice. Exactly. Thank you. In, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. So, so kind of, so to sort of wrap up Kingdom Tide a little bit, how has that played out in your, your personal life? Well, uh, you mean as far as the, the readings or the... Or just uh, how you've engaged allowing the Holy Spirit to go out and do that work oh, I with, see. with others, you know. And yeah. We've, we've covered pretty well um, sort of the contemplative side of your evolution in life. And just um, just for the sake of, of this particular one, you know, kingdom tide of being sort of outward facing. Yeah, I, I would think it definitely because it, it focuses on the teachings of Jesus which is practical, which is uh, who cares what you believe, it's what you do. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I just read a, oh, I forgot her name. I believe it was Jill uh, Levine. Somebody asked her about the uh, the truth of the gospel. And she said, no, no, the only one uh, concerned about truth was Pontius Pilate asking <laughs> what is truth. She said, I'm interested in what you do. and And so... So this is kind of the age of everybody's got an opinion to share on social media. And well, everyone's always had an opinion, but now you can reach, yeah. reach a past now I can, yeah, audience. Yeah, now I have an easily. audience, whether they want to read my opinion or not. And and it can develop a false sense of righteousness. Mm-hmm. So you can you can speak out for justice on social media, but what have you really done? And so uh and so I, f- I found myself a couple of years ago falling into that that same trap, uh, particularly over immigration and over issues of of the refugees uh, in America, and the and the the particularly the crisis in Syria in that time. Mm. And so this voice, and it, it was probably during Kingdom Tide, uh, before I'd post something or share something, a voice would start stopping me in my in my mind and say, "Are, are you prepared?" to do something about this today, mm. to do some sort of action for this? Or are you just going to post an opinion about it? And if so, then don't bother because your opinion only makes things worse. Your actions are what matter. And so it led me to, uh, for and other, and other forces, you know, to just quit social media. Mm-hmm. And then I, I started visiting refugees at the local ICE uh, unit and I like to kind of keep it on the lowdown, so I don't want to talk too much about it. Yeah, no, um, I, I was just yeah. We, but we don't have to go into but details it was, of that. I, I bring it up not to say, oh, I was such a hero, 
but more to say this is how Kingdom Tide transformed my actions, transformed my my uh, my lifestyle, if you will. Well, and I think an important part um, to point out of that story is that all of that didn't happen in like a week time frame no, or no. two years, week time years. frame. Right. Yeah. It was there was many months, many years yeah. that went into that evolution. It wasn't like you woke up one morning. It's like, oh, I'm quitting Facebook. I'm going. Yeah. I'm going to go visit these detainees, uh, and I'm going to make the world. I'm going to announce it on Facebook <laughs> that I'm visiting these detainees. Take so, selfies with the guys yeah, that I'm visiting through the yeah yeah right. It was it it was you know. So anyone out there that's struggling of of that idea of what can I do? Start somewhere small today. Yeah, you know? the smaller the better. Right, and because be it's sustainable. I'm a, yeah, because I'm of the I'm of the uh, the school of thought. Um, you know, let let the actions speak for themselves mm-hmm. to the immediate people who are affected, and leave it at that. Don't don't post on Instagram that you're helping out at the the food bank. I, right. I mean, there may be a, a differing opinion, and it may be uh, just as valid. I, I just. I, f- I personally feel very uncomfortable about talking and, and posting about my quote unquote good deeds. And, uh, and the one the one way I would I would sort of push back on that a bit is if whatever you're engaging in, if they legitimately need more people to, sure. to come sh- you know yeah. come show up and, and be a part of that movement, I can see it that. But there's an internal uh, compass that I've noticed. Of if I'm saying something to pat something, pat myself on the back, or if I'm I'm doing it in legit service to whatever right. uh, group or movement or organization I'm I'm connecting with, uh, I know the difference. Yeah, exactly. you know, I know if I'm trying to pump up my ego, which I do. You know, I I've done that before. Uh, social media set up for that. Yeah, and, and yeah, there's also been times where I've I've legitimately sought out other people, um, whether it's financial help help of time. And, you know, if, if you don't know where to start, this is probably the one of the biggest things I've, I've told people is like, start praying about it because right. something will eventually show itself on that. You feel called, you feel a little bit scared, you feel excited about it. Um, a legitimate opportunity will surface and show itself. Yeah, exactly. And every if, time, every time yeah, without really failing. Will. It might not be tomorrow and it, it no. might, it might not be two months from now. You know, it might be longer than that, but uh, if, if you're looking for it, yeah, uh, the Holy Spirit will bring it to you. You could trust the process as they say. <laughs> yes. And, uh, Mr. David, it's, an already time. it's about that time, man. Wow. We ran, we ran through that one. So went a, a little bit longer than wow. usual, which is okay. Um, Thanks once again to everyone that's that's uh, been listening thus far. If you've made it with us this yeah. far, we're very grateful for you. Much appreciation. And uh, would you like to to leave us with anything? Or are you you feeling pretty good? I feel good. Thank cool. you all. Yeah, I'm feeling good too. So thank you all. And uh, once again, you've been listening to uh, Desert Rain Community Radio and uh, David Morrison and Dorian Mason. And we're signing out for the evening.